everyone and welcome back to another episode of Criminal Consciousness. My name is Victoria Edmund and I will be your host for today. In today's episode, I'm talking about one of the most famous serial killers of the 20th century and a personal favourite of mine. Although many of you are most likely familiar with him and know of his story, I'm here to really go into detail about what made him the horrifying serial killer that he was. This is Ted Bundy. notorious serial killers in America's criminal history. He was a murderer, rapist and necrophiliac born in Burlington, Vermont in the late fall of 1946 into what he claimed to be quite a normal family. Bundy often said he had a typically uneventful childhood and had his friends and family usually back up that claim. But as investigations became more and more serious, it was revealed that Bundy was a socially awkward child who sometimes crossed the lines of morality. Although he struggled to get along with others during his childhood, his social skills reached a level in which they became one of the most vital weapons that he used to lure his victims in. In 1974, Ted began studying law at the University of Utah. At the time, he lived with his then-girlfriend Elizabeth Kendall and her daughter Molly. Later on that year, Bundy was driving through Salt Lake City at roughly 2am in the morning when he was pulled over by a policeman. Later the next day, he was convicted for the attempted kidnap of a young woman named Carol Deronge. From then, the controversial Ted Bundy case grew until he was on trial for dozens of murder cases across several states of America. He denied being guilty of any of these cases for decades. During his stay in Garfield County Jail, Colorado, Ted Bundy escaped twice in 1977. The first time, he was only on the run for eight days, the second time he escaped right before New Year's Eve and made his way to Tallahassee in Florida with a new identity. During this time he went on a murderous rampage at the Kayamega sorority house in Florida. On top of that he brutalized another young woman and kidnapped and murdered a 12 year old girl named Kimberly Leach. Once he was found out by the authorities in February of 1978 he was taken to Florida State Prison. In July 1979, Bundy was convicted for the two Kaya Mega murders at Florida State University. He was given the death penalty twice. He then received another death sentence in 1980 for the murder of Kimberly Leach. The most damning evidence connecting Bundy to the two Kaya Mega murders were the bite marks on one of the bodies, which were a definite match to Ted Bundy's unique set of teeth. Ted was known for treating his victims in quite unspeakable ways. He would rape, brutalise and murder them and often dump the bodies in mountain ranges nearby. He severed the heads of 12 of his victims and kept a few of them as mementos in his apartment. He would approach his victims in a variety of ways. Sometimes he would approach them in public, feigning injury or disability, or would even pretend to be an authoritative figure such as a police officer. But on a few occasions, he broke into dwellings at the night and bludgeoned his victims as they slept. On January 24, 1989, Ted Bundy was given the electric chair. Days before his death, he finally confessed to the rape and murders of 30 women 
and as a last chance to get out of his death sentence, he bribed the authorities with extra information about cases of missing women across several states. But his execution went on, with crowds outside of the prison cheering and even setting off fireworks when he was pronounced dead. Bundy was cremated without any public ceremony. Before his execution, Bundy requested that his ashes would be scattered across the Cascade Mountains in Washington, D.C., the same place where the remains of four of his victims were found. Now, what separated Ted Bundy from other serial killers is the way he presented himself to the media. Although he became an infamous character in the news, it was almost as though he drove people to think he was innocent. So it wasn't only the young women who were brutalised by Ted that became victims of him. He made the entire of his audience a victim of his manipulation. Now, there are various theories as to the factors that come together to create a serial killer. Let's examine those factors and ask how they apply to the case of Ted Bundy. Now, what I find so interesting about Ted Bundy is the somewhat innocent facade he had that made him just seem like a regular person. Bundy's friends and family would often describe him as a caring, quiet, normal individual. He knew how to flatter people, he knew how to win their trust, he was a charming young man who seemingly had the world in his hands. And like I said before, he would often approach his victims in public, getting them to trust him. He lured a substantial portion of them by acting injured or in need, or would even offer to help them. This is where that kind of innocent facade of his came in handy. But that wasn't the only side to him. Deep down, there was this second Ted, who was contained in the back of his mind until he couldn't help himself. The Ted who found pleasure in the most wicked of acts. The only people to ever encounter this destructive Ted were his victims. So apart from them, no one had any recollection of this destructive Ted because he was so good at playing the role of an innocent human being. The decent, innocent Bundy was the Ted that almost everyone knew. Very few people knew the Ted who could barely contain the beast within him. So how did he pull off the charming face he showed his loved ones? Well, in fact, not only his loved ones, he would put on that innocent smile of his in front of the press, the authorities, the court, pretty much 99% of people that he came across. And this is where the entire of America began to notice Ted. He was so often romanticized by people and weirdly enough by young women. He would have young women attending his court cases just to admire him. Some of these women would describe him as dreamy and would say he doesn't seem like the type of person to commit such inhumane crimes. But the destructive Ted was awfully disturbed, not only by finding justice in what he was capable of, but finding pleasure in it and doing it again and again and again. He was a force to be reckoned with. So how did Bundy attend college, build a political career, and have a long-term relationship whilst assaulting and murdering multiple women. Bundy's ability to live that double life continues to be puzzling. When you look at the childhood of serial killers, there are often quite a few common trends, and I see them in Ted's case. One of them is dysfunction in the family. He was filled with rage at his mother. This perhaps led him to developing anger towards others, especially women. 
One of the main things he held against his mother was that she didn't marry someone wealthy. Ted had a lot of envy for people with large amounts of money and wanted to be part of a rich family. As a child, Ted committed regular petty theft and even admitted that he was a peeping Tom at some point. And the peeping thing actually makes sense because it's almost a training ground for how you isolate people, how you watch people, how you get into houses. But the biggest warning sign in young Ted was his regular practice of animal mutilation. He was often found torturing and murdering cats and dogs. This is a fairly common sign in serial killers during their childhood because it's a fascination with death. Beyond a traumatised childhood, there are a number of factors in an adult life that are often cited as triggers for violent behaviour, even serial killing. Antisocial personality disorder is a mental health disorder that is characterised mainly by lack of remorse or empathy for other people. A group of psychologists got together with the University of Kentucky to study Ted Bundy's mental health in 2007, and almost 80% of the team believed Bundy was a prototype of the disorder, checking off all of its criteria. Bundy was also described as a necrophiliac. He had this pathological fascination with dead bodies, and he would sometimes revisit his secondary crime scenes to groom and perform sexual acts with the decomposing corpses of his victims. In Bundy's final interview, only hours before his execution, he tried to emphasise the dangers of pornography and how it was a pathway addiction that drove him to be the serial killer that he became. But personally, I find this excuse wholly unconvincing. To be honest, if pornography was a gateway to serial killing, basically every teenage boy on the planet is a potential serial killer. But Ted claimed that pornography was what made him crave sexual violence. He described it as this sort of fantasy that his crimes would often turn into reality. Ted Bundy's story is central to any discussion about the death penalty. It is by far the most extreme punishment society can inflict upon an individual. The common debate is that the chances of killing an innocent person are too high. People also often believe that living with one's crimes is a worse punishment than dying for them. But further, does the threat of capital punishment even deter a person from committing a crime? Now, of course, Many people believe that the death penalty is a fair punishment, especially in Ted Bundy's case. But some point out that if you have such a disturbed, sick individual in your possession, shouldn't you try and learn from them rather than get rid of them? Was it possible to get a greater understanding of Ted Bundy? Or would this have just given him another opportunity to terrorise once again? When Ted Bundy began to bribe the police with evidence to some of the crimes he committed, he reignited this debate. He brought it back into the spotlight. People started thinking that maybe keeping him alive for a little longer would have helped them with dozens of cases and would give them a sort of pathway into his psychology. But despite the fact that there was a chance that this could benefit the authorities by giving them extra information, many people think that Ted's intention in confessing was to get his sentence delayed. It was almost though he was begging for mercy. At the end of the day, I doubt society will ever agree on the death penalty debate, but particularly in Ted's case, his execution is still being questioned today. Was it really the right decision to make? Should we have spared his life to solve these unsolved cases of missing women across the entire of America? Or would he have confessed to other murders? 
or was his death already overdue? history of hideous human beings, Ted Bundy looms large, but as quickly as we must all decry his acts as vile and purely evil, his case raises questions about our limits as human beings. Do we all have the potential to be a Ted Bundy? Do we have this diabolical force inside us waiting to be unleashed? Or was this man born evil? Evil in a way that we could never be. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ted Bundy. Thank you.